But if you got your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's stand as we read verses 2 through 6. Really focusing on verses 2 and 3 uh, this morning primarily, but I think you'll be very familiar with verse 6. This prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah several hundred years before Christ was born. It says, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you, and they rejoice at harvest time. And as they rejoice, as they rejoice when dividing spoils, for you have shattered their burdensome yoke and the rod on their shoulders and the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian, for the trampling boot of battle and the Bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Father, we thank you for this word. Thank you for all that Jesus is. Help us to gain a greater appreciation not only for knowing you, but making you known. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. This morning, before we conclude our service, I wanted to make a a few comments from Isaiah chapter 9 concerning this light that shines in the darkness. I don't know how many of you spent a lot of time putting up Christmas lights. I I really didn't put up that many, but it just took me a while. Over a three-week period, we finally got up some lights this year. And I think about the fact that it's usually dark in the evening by the time everybody gets home at my house this time of year, but what if it were not dark? What if it were like it is, say, in mid-June when it gets dark at about 9.45 in the evening? Well, a lot of our children that appreciate lights would already be in bed at 9.45, am I right? This time of year especially, school nights, 9.45, we hope they are sound asleep. And so if we put Christmas lights up, and, and it didn't get dark till 9.45, how many of the children would be able to appreciate riding around like many of you have done, taking pictures, uh, hearing the oohs and ahs of the children? What makes those lights so brilliant? Well, those lights aren't nearly as brilliant if there's not darkness. It's the contrast of the light in the darkness that makes them brilliant. And sometimes we think about the fact we live in a dark world. And I want to encourage you this morning, church, from this passage That it's the fact we live in a dark world that makes the light shine even brighter. That makes us enjoy it so much more. And rather than complain about darkness, we can let our light so shine before men. And the light of Christmas be the light of our world. Now this, uh, many believe, is a Christmas passage, or what we would call a messianic passage, primarily because of verse 6. And what, as we look at the immediate context here and its fulfillment, I want us to also think about how the New Testament has incorporated this passage and all other prophetic passages in the book of Isaiah and interpreting this not only as uh, what happened to Israel at this time, but what would later happen several hundred years later when Christ would be born into this world. Now, the meaning of the text is clear. It's light shining in the darkness. But I believe there's at least four what I would call biblical applications of this one passage. Even when we look at verses 2 and 3 this morning, at least four biblical applications, and one of those has to do each time 
with Christmas as we break this passage down. So I want us to ask this question. If Isaiah is a prophet of God, several hundred years before Christmas, speaking the word of the Lord, just as he did in the passage in chapter 6 that Zach was reading a moment ago, then what is its application for us today? Well, we need to see it in the whole context of its application. So let's just kind of work through these two verses thought by thought. And first of all, notice that the prophet acknowledges the human condition. This prophet, he acknowledges the human condition when he says, people walking in darkness. What does it mean that people were walking in darkness? Well, back in those days, there was no electricity. It's not like they had Christmas lights and and all of a sudden the street lights were out and things like that. I mean, obviously they had, they had the candles and the various lamps that were created with fire, but what does he mean when he says the people were walking in darkness? Well, in this immediate context, as we look at this passage and say, what was Isaiah saying to the people of Israel, what we would have called the northern kingdom of Israel at this time? We would have said that Israel was in rebellion. Israel was experiencing the fact that God was removing his hedge of protection. God was removing his hands of protection on Israel because Israel had been in sinful rebellion against Yahweh. They had violated the covenant relationship with Yahweh, and because they were tolerating any and every kind of sin and immorality in their nation, God was lowering that hedge of protection, and it was a sinfully dark world, and a world in which the Assyrians would come in and cause them to experience further separation and darkness. In 722 BC, the, the kingdom of Assyria came in and totally took over and in many ways wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel so that they would now be conquered by a people who did not know God. They would find themselves in a sinfully dark day experiencing a great falling away from God. Well, that was the darkness that Israel was experiencing. But what about at the time of the birth of Christ? See, it acknowledges the human condition there as well. Christ was born after a time that there had been 400 silent years where no great prophet had emerged, no scripture had been given to Israel, to God's people for that 400 years, it was a spiritually dark season under the oppression of the Roman Empire in Israel. The light would shine, John 1, 5 says, into the darkness, dark days of tyranny, apathy, and persecution. It was a dark world, spiritually speaking, that Christ was born into. So darkness has an applica- a second application when it comes to when Christ was born. Now let's think about the time of your life before salvation. Those are dark days. When we do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, when we look at the lostness in our world today, that is defined as darkness, the time before salvation. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13, we are told that those of us who were saved were rescued from the kingdom of Darkness. We were rescued from darkness and thank God brought into his marvelous light. So darkness describes the sinful condition of the heart and the sinful condition of the world in which we live. Let me remind you this morning as we focus a little bit on missions that two-thirds of our world are considered to be without Jesus Christ. 
In fact, 1.6 billion people in the world today embrace the religion of Islam, and it is rapidly growing. There are also a billion Hindus in the world, and even people in our nation who worship in all kinds of perversions and, and embrace all types of Eastern mysticism. There are a billion, when we think of those who claim to have no religion, and we add them to those who claim to be atheists, who are almost religious about not believing in anything, when you add all of the non-religious and the atheists together, you have another billion people. And if you go back and you look at the two billion people who claim to be Christian, a large percentage of them, many have suggested over 50% of them, do not understand what it means to have a salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, born-again relationship. So we live in a sinfully dark world. In Ephesians 4.18, we see that our hearts and our minds are darkened with sin before we were saved. And then finally, darkness can apply to the days, and I believe the prophets had this in mind on many occasions because of Israel's history being yet to be fulfilled. I believe that with all my heart. God still has a completion, uh, an, another period, another season for the people of Israel. And so before that second coming of Christ, there are perilous times, there are dark days that are going to come. So the prophet acknowledges here the human condition as being one in darkness. I know that there are a lot of people who like to be more optimistic and say, I think people are by and large pretty good from the point of birth. But even King David said, I was conceived in iniquity. I was a sinner by nature and by choice from the time I came into this world. Our hearts were darkened and in need of a rescue. Going all the way back to Adam and Eve being kicked out of the garden, everybody's been born into the spiritual condition. And we can be as optimistic about the human race as we want to be. You probably heard the story, you know, or the difference between the optimist, the pessimist, and the realist. The optimist can see the light at the end of the tunnel. The pessimist cannot see the light at the end of the tunnel. But the realist is able to say that the light at the end of the tunnel is the train that's coming your way. We live in a sinfully dark world. We live in a world that needs us to be real about what's coming if we don't get our hearts right with God. Now, if you look at the next part of this passage, we think about our darkened hearts. We think, think about the fact that we live in a, a world where we're walking in darkness. And by the way, just look at the news today. and That's obvious, is it not? Pay attention to the stories of terrorism around our land and look at the stories of sexual exploitation and even slavery that's taking place in our own country. Think about Crime, disrespect for authority, murder, kids in school, just meanness of other kids, right? We live in a spiritually dark world. But then we have this wonderful announcement. See, the prophet, secondly, announces a heavenly clarification. A heavenly clarification. We need illumination. So he says, they have, these people walking in the darkness have seen, and prophetically speaking, he's saying they will have seen a great light. Now, let's tie that to the four previous contexts. What is Isaiah saying? He's saying, first of all, in the immediate context, 
Israel would be restored. Actually, the southern kingdom of Judah would also be taken captive to Babylon, but eventually God would raise up a generation that would come back with people like Ezra and Nehemiah. They would come back to Jerusalem, and, and there would be a, a rejoining of the northern and the southern kingdom so that the kingdom's not divided anymore, and Israel would be restored, and they would have a lot of great days left in their history. And so he says the people walking in darkness God is going to bring them back. They're going to experience a great light, a, a great and joyful celebration. But what about at Christmas time, the first advent? What about those people who were walking in darkness? If this is a messianic passage and Christ is the child in verse 6 who has come to be the wonderful counselor, mighty God, and the everlasting Father, if that's Jesus, then what was the light that was shining in the darkness? It was none other than Christ himself. We saw it when we looked last week at John 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh. God, the communication, all that God is was made flesh to dwell among us. As I said a moment ago, John 1, 5, the light shined in the darkness on that first Christmas morning. The light shined in the darkness throughout the life of Christ. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, Jesus would say this after the Feast of the Tabernacles, when the party was over, when the torches were extinguished, there were four large torches, almost like the Olympic torch. And when those torches were extinguished and Jerusalem was dark and dirty and the crowds had left their mess behind, Jesus shouted out in the darkness, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me will not walk in darkness anymore. So Jesus is that heavenly clarification. He is that illumination. He is the light of the world. And then when we are saved, listen to what 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says. Now, this ought to get somebody happy about their salvation this morning. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, from the very beginning of creation, by the way, darkness is the absence of everything. <laughs> darkness, when we compare light to goodness and darkness to evil, keep in mind that you don't turn darkness on, you turn the light off. And so darkness is just the mere absence of light. God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. When we look into the face of Jesus, God become man. God put on flesh that first Christmas morning. When we look into his face, that's where we find salvation. That's where we find redemption. That's where we find hope. It was all wrapped up in Jesus. And so when we are saved, that's part of the heavenly clarification. And then we finally look at that second advent, the consummation of the ages. In Isaiah 60 and verse 1, Isaiah will put it this way to Israel. He says, arise, shine, because your light has come. Christ has come into the world, and just as he came the first time, folks, he's coming again. The second time is not going to be a humiliating Entrance, he's not going to come as a baby. He's not going to die as a cross, uh, on a cross. When he comes the second time, he's coming back as King of Kings, as Lord of Lords, and we will arise and shine for our light has come. I remember when I think about this heavenly clarification that Christ came to give the light of salvation to the world. I remember going, especially think about this during the time of celebrating missions, but I remember when we had a lot of teenagers one year down at uh, Teen Missions International and that you, for Teen Missions International, teens that want to be a part of this, and it would be great if any of our young people would like to be a part of this, but 
Teen Missions International, they go and they go to two weeks of Teen Missions boot camp, and then they spend about seven weeks on an international field somewhere. And, and so we were down there for a commissioning service where they had finished their two weeks of boot camp and were ready to go around the world with the gospel of Christ. Some 40 teams, uh, 2,000 kids going all over the world. And that night under a big top tent, they turned off all the lights, and we're out in the jungle in Florida. I mean, all the lights are off in winter, this big top tent. And the founder of Teen Missions will always, he'll do this every year, Bob Bland. He stood and he said, some people curse the darkness, others light a candle. And he challenged every teen there who was willing to go and take the gospel around the world to light a candle. And they all began to light candles and that darkness became light and that place was lit up. That's what the gospel does. It lights a dark world. Finally, I want you to see here, it anticipates a harvest celebration. What's happening when we see a video like that with Fred Wall and Scott Adams and Benny Matthews and Tommy Dove? When we give a love offering today, it anticipates a harvest celebration. Look at verse 3. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. See, when we are faithful in missions, more people become a part of God's kingdom. The people who have rejoiced before you, as they rejoiced at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. See, upon the return of Judah, in Psalm uh, 126, we see that when they returned from captivity, their hearts were rejoicing. They were filled with gladness. And it says those who had sown in tears were reaping in joy. There was a great harvest when Israel was restored. But also at Christmas, when Christ came into the world, it says that the Magi in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 10 rejoiced with exceeding great Joy. They got so excited because they had seen his star and knew that Messiah had come. In Luke chapter 2 and verse 20, after the shepherds had witnessed the birth of Messiah, they went away rejoicing and praising God, celebrating, worshiping, because Christ, the Messiah, God, had come into this world. That They anticipated this harvest celebration. It was a great celebration. We see it also with the salvation of souls when in Luke chapter 15 we read that every time a man or woman or boy or girl comes to faith in Christ, that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels. In other words, when somebody gets saved, and this morning all over the world people are coming to faith in Christ, it says they throw a party in heaven. That's why I know that when God looks at the darkness in this world, He's not wringing His hands and saying, what am I going to do about it? Why? Because the number of people that are being saved around the world, heaven is so busy throwing a party over people coming to faith in Christ because of our faithfulness, our giving, our going, and our telling that heaven's having a good time because people are being saved and coming to faith in Christ. And then upon Christ's return, our hope and rejoicing and our crown, First Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19 says, is when we are standing before Him, and listen, not only standing before Him, our hope and our joy and our crown, I believe what Paul was saying is when we stand there with all those, our neighbors, our family members, those around the world because we gave, when we're standing there with those of the next generation who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ because we were faithful to do what God called us to do, to go where God called us to go, to give what God called us to give. When we're faithful, he says, we'll be standing there. And on that day, it will be our hope. It will be our rejoicing. It will be our joy, and it will be our crown. What will that day be like? I want to read out of Revelation to close. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. This is the way Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. 
He says, I looked again and I saw a huge crowd, too huge to count. Everyone was there, all nations and tribes, all races and languages. They were standing, dressed in white robes and waving palm branches, standing before the throne and the Lamb, and heartily singing salvation to our God on his throne. Salvation to the Lamb. All who were standing around the throne, angels, elders, animals, fell on their face before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Oh, yes, the blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving, the honor and power and strength to our God forever and ever. Amen. Oh, yes, it's going to be a great day as we gather with people from every tribe and tongue and nation around the throne celebrating what God has done. What made that possible? Christmas made that possible. Arise, shine, your light has come. Jesus has stepped into the world. Would you bow your heads with me?